morning, friends. It's uh, wonderful to be with you. Uh, we love renewing fellowship with you. Now, some of us clearly spend far too long looking at Facebook. Uh, and the last uh, couple of weeks, there have been uh, a few things uh, popping up. One of them is some sad news. Uh, many of us, perhaps older Christians here, will have heard of Warren Wearsby, a great Bible teacher. He went to be with his Lord just uh, a few days ago. And he wrote a, a fantastic uh, commentary uh, to, the, to the scriptures. And he took the simple word be for the beginning of each book that he wrote about. And for Galatians, he wrote be free. And you'll be focusing on that as you look at that. Um, and then other things pop up, words of wisdom from saints of the past, like Billy Graham, which I want to mention in a minute. Let's just be thankful for those God has given us to, to open our eyes to his word, that we might see Jesus. Lord, we want to see Jesus. Open our eyes. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our hearts, Lord, and help us to receive. In his name, amen. One of those quotes, some of you again will have seen it on Facebook. Someone once asked Billy Graham, if Christianity is valid, why is there so much evil in the world? And to this he replied, with so much soap, why are there so many dirty people in the world? Christianity, like soap, must be personally applied if it's going to make a difference in our lives. And as we continue to look at this letter that St. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, a province of the then Roman Empire in what is now modern central Turkey. We pick up the story, as you heard in chapter 1, where Paul is having to defend himself against the false accusations of legalists, teachers who were trying to pervert the gospel he'd witnessed to as he planted the churches of the region. Paul had been a budding Jewish rabbi. He was well-versed in the law. But in response to the accusation, he chose to give testimony rather than engage in convoluted theological argument. And late at night, just occasionally, the street pastors are confronted by people who want to have a religious discussion. Even an argument. Why is there so much suffering? You can't prove that God exists. All roads lead to God and so on and so on. And many of our team members are well able to give chapter and verse and learned arguments in response. But time and time again, we find it's the personal testimonies that we carry, shared with grace and compassion, that make the difference or expose the shallow pretense of being interested in who Jesus is or what he could do for them. The shortest answer in scripture, I think, to a profound challenge about whether Jesus was the Messiah or not came from a man who was given sight. In answer to whether Jesus was the Messiah, he said, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. You may not like the answer, but if it's personal experience, you can't argue with it. Paul spent the formative part of his life learning what we know as the Old Testament scriptures. As Matt said, we love them. They are still part of God's word. He would have considered the, four, the, the smallest detail of Jewish law and he would have spent a lot of time looking at how it could be applied, uh, worked around and defended. And when Paul, who'd been persecuting Christians so aggressively, had a dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed. He went from reliance on head knowledge to dependence on heart knowledge. And 
he's keen to explain that his transformation was entirely of God's doing, not by some clever mind that he'd been given and applied. He certainly refutes any suggestion that he was seeking personal gain, status or benefit by what he'd been doing or saying. Having had Jesus reveal himself, literally the word used is apocalypse, the same word from which we get the the word revelation, as in the book of Revelation, it would be understandable if Paul had shot straight off Jerusalem to quiz the disciples. But he chose instead to take himself off on a journey of evaluation. And I'm guessing he revisited all the scriptures that spoke of the coming of God's Messiah. The prophecies that were perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. In verse 16, we read, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. And his three-year formation period was surely spent seeking the Holy Spirit's help to grasp what he'd missed in all his years of rabbinic training. And what does that say to us? However long we've been on the journey, how have we responded when we've had a revelation of Jesus as our Saviour and Lord? Do we simply say, well, I'll go to church some Sundays and I'll rely on the sermons to establish the basis of my faith? You'll get something, but in comparison to what God wants to say, you'll get very little, even under a great Bible teacher like Warren Wiersbe. Now, I don't want to preach legalism, because that would be ironic in the light of this particular passage, but it's usually evidence of a heart change that follows uh, from an encounter with Jesus that leads to a passion for reading God's word. We often, uh, Matt's right, we don't see outward transformation physically, but the behaviour, the attitude, uh, the values change. And so it's not unusual to find a new Christian thirsting, longing after getting into God's word. It's as though light bulbs have come on, the pennies have dropped and all those analogies. I met an older gentleman yesterday, Arthur, at a church in Western Supermare. Sadly, a couple of years ago, his wife died, but it deepened his relationship with God and he is hungry for God's word. He, like me, is reading through chapter by chapter in the Old Testament. We were comparing notes on how heavy going it can be in some passages. But he thrills to read a number of psalms every day. Uh, Those hymns of praise, peons of praise, are just joy to him. And you can see the guy has had a renewal of his faith. It's evident as you spend time with him. So don't swim about in the shallows when there are great depths to explore which will bless you and, as importantly, make you a blessing to others. In due course, Paul did re-enter public life, and he engaged with believers and non-believers alike. Back in Jerusalem, reports of his changed life must have been received with incredulity by most people. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And when Matt asked me to speak from this passage, he suggested the theme, the gospel that turned lives upside down. Paul is one of countless Christians who have undergone a dramatic turnaround when they've encountered Jesus. I wonder who else your mind goes to if I ask you to think of others you know who've had their lives transformed by a revelation, an encounter with Jesus as God's Son, the one who is able to forgive, accept, heal, give purpose and promise eternal life. It doesn't have to be famous Christians. For me, it would be people like John Newton, the slave trader who went on to write the hymn Amazing Grace. Their story doesn't have to be dramatic like Christians I've met 
uh, Vic Jacobson or Fred Lemon who met with Jesus in prison cells. That's pretty dramatic. And they became witnesses to people of all social classes. And in leading the Taunton team chaplaincy for the last three and a half years, I've had the immense privilege of hearing the faith stories of more than 30 Christians who've sensed a call to become a chaplain and be part of our team. And I want to demolish the myth that only a few can become chaplains. The fact is, if you've met Jesus and have a story to share and a willingness to listen to others who are on their life journey, you are already a chaplain. The only challenge is to find out where Jesus wants you to witness for him. And you don't have to join the Taunton team chaplaincy. There are other expressions of uh, uh, sharing Jesus. Our chaplaincy team has taken the rainbow. In fact, we have it on our card. It's the only illustration I've got. That's my little rainbow card. We've taken the rainbow, the seven colours of the rainbow, reclaiming the rainbow, perhaps for the Christian uh, message. We serve retail shops and premises. So you'll find chaplains in the big supermarkets, Asda, Tesco's, Sainsbury's in the big Debenham stores, in the Boots store, but also in individual shops, in streets in the town. We have chaplains who go from one to another. I'll say a bit more about that in a minute. We serve in the offices and organisations. Ewan is doing a fantastic job. It's not fantastic because that means unbelievable. It is a believable role he's doing in the offices of what I've now got to call SWAT, uh, Somerset West and Taunton. I'll get it right, otherwise my wife will beat me up. Um, and he's just, he's just open to the staff, whether it's the man on the door, the chief executive, or anyone in between. It is a thrill to hear how people are, uh, are sharing with uh, Ewan as they're on their journey. But we serve the police. It's good to have friends here today, the hydrographic office, and uh, amongst others, the uniformed cadets. We happen in Taunton to have sewn up through our chaplaincy, both the sea cadets, Royal Marines cadets, air cadets, and the army cadets. That's impressive because that's the, the new generation of citizens that we're reaching. We serve six care homes directly and others indirectly. We work among the marginalised through the good work of the YMCA and that new hotel project they're opening up near the station. Ark Inspire, which most of us still know as Taunton Association for the Homeless, the Open Door Day Centre. We have Christians getting alongside staff and the people who need the service they provide. We're in the parks and open spaces. This year we've partnered with a guy who's got an amazing evangelistic ministry. He operates in the park and the high street with other chaplains alongside, just gently asking, rather like we used to do with Evangelism Explosion, just saying, Jesus said this, why do you think he said that? And, and most people are saying, yeah, I'll have a conversation with you. Very few say no. We're there when the town or the community is having an event or celebrating. The World Cricket's coming to Taunton. Christians are involved in receiving and interacting with locals as well as the uh, worldwide visitors. The big arts festival, Summerfest, providing chaplaincy at Taunton Flower Show. The big Easter and Christmas activities, the Christians were on the uh, streets on Easter Saturday presenting the whole Christian message from Good Friday through to Easter Sunday. And we'll be there when our friends are having their emergency services day in Castle Green during the summer. The newest incarnation of chaplaincy is on the railways. British Transport Police came to us and said, could you help us? We've got people who are travelling on the railways, some of them for good reasons, going off to celebrations or holidays, others not so good, they're in a bad place. Might be going to a funeral, to a hospital appointment, or just using the railway as a place to go to contemplate ending it. And sadly, the Obridge flyover nearby is another place. So we have Christians, chaplains, who spend time among people 
radiating God's love, looking for opportunities to give a word in season and to point them to Jesus. I forget the name of the Christian minister back in history who had a woman approach him and declare that she felt God calling her to be a missionary. The only problem, she said, was that uh, I've got something like a dozen young children. Madam, the preacher replied, I am thrilled to hear that God has called you to be a missionary and even more excited that he's already given you a congregation to witness to. The principle still applies. If you're a Christian, you already have a hinterland to witness to. What are you saying to them and how are you saying it? Paul went back eventually to the areas that knew him well. They knew his past. He went to Damascus, to Jerusalem, and to Tarsus, where he'd lived. We are called to be witnesses, Jesus tells us, in Jerusalem, our homes, families, streets, neighborhood, and the town, communities we live. Judea, perhaps other places, within our culture. Samaria, perhaps representing places where we need to undertake specialist training in language or cultural orientation to be able to communicate and live the gospel. And the ends of the earth, that's everywhere else. Your job is not to agonise over whether you're called to be a chaplain. You are one already. Your job is to find the mission field God's got for you. Sometimes it's on your doorstep and you've missed it. The Christian think tank, Theos, recently declared that when we talk about chaplaincy, we're talking about a huge, growing and significant phenomenon. We're rapidly approaching a position where people are more likely to encounter religion via a chaplain than any other way. That's a very learned guy with lots of degrees after his name. He's done a lot of work. And he says that's where we're heading at the beginning of the 21st century. In Taunton and the surrounding area, we have far more openings for formalized chaplaincy than we can currently respond to. Street pastors are in greater and greater demand. And uh, it's interesting, the lead officer for the Hinkley Point policing team was in a public meeting recently and said they need the street pastors now and other partners from the faith community more than ever. And he was previously our town centre sergeant in Taunton. Now, I'm not naive about the situation. Uh, Whilst the authorities may want our reassuring presence on the street, the individuals we encounter need the life-changing gospel we carry, each of us, through our personal relationship with Jesus. In this role, I spend a lot of time, very happily, in fellowship with friends in the Church of England, and particularly with some of the key leaders, uh, the strategists in the Bath and Wells Diocese. Now, every organisation, I know the church here has a strap line, uh, a motto, if you like, and the diocese here has chosen living the story, telling the story, which is intended to challenge every member of their churches to check that at the heart of all they do is the testimony of Jesus and his gospel. That's the Church of England. That is great. That gives us liberty to uh, nudge and encourage people forward. But if you ran a filter through your life and witness, would that be the case? Paul challenged those who it's uh, described as perverting, literally turning around Christians um, to take them uh, back to legalism by explaining his life had been turned around by meeting Jesus, who set him free from the impossible constraints of the law, and we had a word about that as we were in worship just now. He didn't want to be turned back round again to go back into the legalism he'd been delivered from by Jesus. So I began by saying that St. Paul was having to defend himself against false accusations of using the gospel to big himself up. He concludes his defence, making it clear that the outworking of all his efforts was that people were praising God, not him. 
all our efforts, all our witnessing, everything we do is, is to direct people to Jesus, to praise Father God in heaven. Humility is a challenge to anyone who stands up in front of others to deliver a message. As Christians, I know it's often difficult to know how to acknowledge appreciation. False modesty is one end of a spectrum, although we tend to prefer that to boasting. St. Paul is perhaps the one writer who makes incredible claims, incredible claims, but he's always keen to qualify them because they're a consequence of what God has first done for him. And just as I said every Christian is a chaplain, so too every Christian is entitled to put certain letters after their name. I found this very helpful in the last 12 months. All of us can put A-S-S-B-G after our names. Did you know that if you're a Christian? A sinner saved by grace. But don't just use the letters. Take an opportunity to explain what they mean and why they apply to you. How you convey that is key to your witness. St. Paul won many to Christ and established churches because of what he was able to say about his personal encounter with Jesus. His subsequent life and witness were consistent and in line with scripture. I wonder what you have to say and what God is calling you about where you'll say it. Uh, I want to just share um, some simple uh, testimony really from both street pastors and chaplaincy. And I thought, I'm not going to go back into ancient history because we could easily cherry pick the best things. I went to the latest bulletin we put out um, to the, the churches who support us and just, I want to share with you the latest, as it were, that accounts uh, movements of God uh, radiating Jesus through street pastors. And I want to do the same with chaplaincy. Um, street pastors, uh, at the uh, turn of the year, uh, were praying to God, as they do at the start of many patrols, saying, give us a picture, Lord. Give us some, some idea of where you want us to be and, and how we should go about things tonight. And amongst other signs, they were given a pair of walking boots picture a pair of walking boots and some dancing Christmas trees. Now at this point you might have thought the street passers had been a little bit too close to those who'd been uh, imbibing. But as the evening went on we met a homeless man and he asked for prayer because his brother that week had died of sudden adult death syndrome and he was already in deep distress and grief because of the death of a friend's three-year-old daughter. He welcomed prayer from Christians and we've engaged with him since. As we finished our prayer, you look up as you do, and down beside us, surprise, surprise, a pair of walking boots. But they weren't his. He had no idea whose they were and where they'd come from. God met with us, confirming, yep, this was a guy you were supposed to spend time with. In the early hours the same night, um, one team was drawn into conversation with three men. One of them wanted to have one of those discussions about the existence of God couple of the street pastors are forward having that conversation a couple of us holding back as we're holding back we look up above they're standing in Taunton's main street they look up and they see the Christmas decorations swung across the street I hadn't noticed the uh, illustrations used last year for Christmas surprise surprise they were Christmas trees at a jaunty angle and at that precise moment the wind was taking these decorations and they were dancing above the conversation about whether uh, God exists God was meeting with us and the conversation went well. Fast forward to April and one of our number 
Babs, who's a lovely lady, likes to keep a record of the night she's out and sends it out to her own prayer uh, followers. So just a couple of weeks ago, Easter weekend, uh, she says we had some Hope magazines left over from the Easter celebration in town at lunchtime and one of our team were particularly good at sharing them on safe space, giving one to a friendly Asian family, one to a female restaurant worker on her way home from work and one to a Romanian couple expecting their first baby. We don't have to go into uh, Samaria and, and the ends of the earth. These days, the ends of the earth are coming to us here in Taunton in the early hours of the morning on the streets uh, uh, for street pastors. Some rough sleepers were grateful for hot drinks. One young lady showed us a really nasty sore area on her leg, which she's had for two years. When she was in prison, which says something, it got a bit better, but now it's bad again. We gave her some plasters, advised her to get medical help, and signposted her to the Open Door project on the radio. We heard about some young people who were on the roof of the Iceland store, throwing tiles down. The street pastors wisely prayed, but didn't get involved in that. An ex-rough sleeper came up to the street pastors and said, I want to give you three pounds. doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to someone who's been in poverty, three pounds would be a significant gift. I want to do that, he said, because I'm grateful that I've now got a home and a job, and I want to give it to you street pastors to help others. They were called by the door supervisors of a nightclub on the radio because the police were busy, committed elsewhere, and there was a girl who needed help because her friend was in danger of being raped. She met the street pastors as they approached. She was carrying her trainers and she was running barefoot to get to her friend near a club at the other end of town. The street pastors were struggling to keep up with her, but they did. By the time they got there, the uh, people perpetrating the assault had left. Sadly, they'd taken the phone of one girl and the handbag of another, which had the only key to their flat. But the street pastors sat with the girls in a fast food outlet and bought them some chips and, and waited for the police who, because of the pressure of work, it took a couple of hours. But that was a significant time coming alongside girls in distress. And I do want to go back in the last incident to one that was a little bit before Christmas. The team were walking down North Street, the main street in the town here, with the intention of visiting, as they do, uh, the door staff of the nightclubs. And a fairly drunk gentleman approached them and said, there's a guy by the river threatening to top himself. They use fairly direct language when we're with them. The team said, well, we'll go and investigate, uh, initially thinking that whoever it was would have moved on. But as they got to the theatre car park, the Brewhouse Theatre car park, they heard hysterical screaming. And in the area behind the Morrison supermarket uh, by the footbridge, they found a man floundering in the water. He was unable to use the lifeboat, that some, the life belt that someone had thrown to him, and one of the street pastors immediately got onto 999. Another one tried to calm the girlfriend, who was hysterical, and the team leader had the sense to hold the rope of the lifebelt and subsequently managed to nudge, uh, nudge him and encourage him to cling on. But in his state of panic, he didn't have the ability, the wherewithal, to pull himself out. Two men, two strangers, came along and lay prone over the edge of the wall with other people anchoring their legs, and they managed to reach him, teamwork, and pulled him to safety. The leader took off her street pastor jacket, warmed him up because he'd been in the water for about 20, 25 minutes, and this is November last year. The fire police and the paramedics turned up, did what they needed to do, put him in the ambulance and took him off to hospital. The street pastor team simply re retired from the area, went back to their base and prayed, thanking God for a good outcome, a life saved. Now, about a week after that, I was sharing the story, probably quicker than I've taken to t tell you now, and I found myself saying, well, it's what street pastors do. But my listener rightly pulled me up and said, 
hang on, that's one family who won't have an empty place at the dinner table this Christmas and won't have to, have to suffer the pain and the anguish of a suicide which inevitably sends ripples out to family and friends of the person and last years and even has impact on children and subsequent generations. We're not always aware of how our witness is powerful uh, and God uses us. And I mentioned I went to the street pastor's recent newsletter. I want to go to the chaplain's prayer letter of just a fortnight ago. This is the, we're at the end now of, of our current prayer letter that we send out to our supporters, those who will pray. We'd love you to be part of it. We don't want you just to have it for the gossip or the, um, the, the, the stories, but it is a great encouragement. Um, we try to remember to provide an update on situations that we've asked our friends to pray for previously. Uh, as I said, I didn't want to cherry pick, so these are the current Uh, giving thanks topic, that the owners of a dog who needed chemotherapy are grateful for prayer because the animal's in remission. I had to sort of do a little bit of jumping around about praying for a dog, but we've witnessed to the owners who are now acknowledging that prayer has made a difference. Someone whose name begins with L expresses thanks for prayers for their business. It's thriving so well, they're now restocking for the next season. They have acknowledged the prayer of the chaplains. B expresses thanks for prayers for their new business. It's going exceptionally well. The previous business had to close, and they are thrilled that that the new one is going well. We were grateful that the Taunton Debenham store was not on the list of closures. We gave thanks. We have deeply significant conversations with people who have no church connection. Through the good relationships built up with 30 chaplains, people are now opening up with what they're struggling with, as well as good things. They want to share good news with us. And we're seeing the beginnings of faith-based conversations. So we pray for a lady who's suffering from acute multiple allergies. They're affecting her mentally and physically, praying for her family. We're praying for a lady who's lost both her husband and a brother within a few days, that she'll cope with grief and her daughter being distressed. We're praying for the family of a little boy who's abroad, where they're desperate to reunite him with his father. And then another person opened up about problems at home. The chaplain, an ordinary Christian like you, was able to pray with them and give them a much-needed hug. And they cried. They felt so much better afterwards. God truly answers arrow prayers. There's another uh, family who are at their wit's end with their son who's building up a lot of debts. They're frightened silly that the bailiffs are going to come knocking at the door one day, which will be terribly distressing. But they believe God does do miracles, and they've asked the chaplains to pray with them for that. I could go on, but um, so many wonderful opportunities to engage with people where they really are, not have superficial uh, arguments or discussions, but where life is really biting hard and where it's going well. And those prayer requests largely were from two ladies who serve as chaplains to the retail community. I didn't start on the ones in those other sections of the rainbow of chaplaincy. So I suppose it comes down to what's our up-to-date testimony of engaging with people who don't yet know Jesus? What are you going to say and where is God calling you to say it? If you sense it is through chaplaincy or street pastors and many other Opportunities are available in our community. Please see me, Matt, uh, others afterwards. And now please let me pray for all of us that we might be attuned to God's will. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, as Paul did, for what you have done in our lives.
we recognise that you have delivered us out of darkness and sin. You've shone a light into the dark places in our lives and we rejoice. You've set us free. Help us to be guided to come alongside others who need that message, those who are thirsting and longing for that message, that we might tend the poor and the lame, those who are hurting, that we might point beggars to the bread that will satisfy fully, that we will see hope imparted to those whose lives are hopeless. So we ask you, Lord, again, as we've been praying throughout our time together, to send your Holy Spirit in great power to fire us up in your service, that together we might glorify God who does these things through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay.